Well, welcome to the mine. How's everyone doing? Really good? All right. Well, my name is um, Chris Hayded. I am the pastor of missions and outreach here. And speaking of that, I'm still a little bit jet lagged. We just got back from Kenya. Anybody here from the Haruma trip? Whoop, whoop. There, look at there. They're just there. And, and it, Haruma was amazing. Um, we got to talk with Mama Sapora, got to hang out with all the orphans. It's just an incredible, incredible mission that's going on over there. We got to see the dorm project. Remember that thing that was started about four months ago? It's almost done. It, they are really cranking on that. So a lot of great things happening over in Africa. If you have ever thought of going on a mission trip, um, Kenya would be a great start. We also have Jamaica coming up in the end of September, early October. And then we're just starting to get things underway for India 2014. So a lot of cool things happening um, in that realm. Well, let me explain to you a little bit about what the mine is and what the mine is not. Uh, the whole idea of the mine is really just to dig into God's Word. Um, this is one of the three to B's. This is the whole grow piece or one of the grow pieces here at Cornerstone. And we just want to um, take the next fall. Now, we've got 14 45-minute sessions and we're going to try our hardest to go through the book of Revelation. Now, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you know that it is impossible to go through in 14, 45-minute sessions. So we're going to do um, as much as we can. And I just want to let you know there's also an, an additional study of Revelation going on every Sunday morning in that room right there, A105 at 9 a.m. And they are going word by word. It's not verse by verse in that class. It's word by word. I think they've gone through a couple of weeks and they're on verse four. So that would be a great opportunity um, to come here on Tuesday nights and then go in there and just um, ask question after question after question. Um, but at the mine, we also have an opportunity at the end, about, about a quarter till eight, and we will open it up to questions. And I will try my hardest to answer these questions. Keep in mind, we are talking about the book of Revelation. So I will try my hardest um, to answer those questions. And I have been told to tell all parents in here, kaboom, ends at 8.05. So if I, we're still in here and I'm still yapping away, it will not hurt my heart if you just get up and go because they will come hunt you down. So make sure, make sure you do that. So everybody doing good tonight? So when is the end of the world going to happen? Anybody know? About every other year, we get some billboards, buses driving by saying the end of the world is going to be this or that. Um, the Mayans are still telling us when the end of the world is going to be. Nostradamus has tried many times. But the, the biblical answer is no one knows. No one knows when the end of the world is. If you turn to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was asked this very question. Matthew 24, verse 4, he said, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginning of the birth pains. 
So are we close? Yes, we're closer than we were yesterday, and we're closer than we were a month ago and a year ago. And to be honest, I I've honestly feel we are in that final season. Um, people ask, well, are there still any kind of signs that still need to happen in order for the end of the world? And the answer is no. 1948, Israel became a nation. Um, Israel in AD 70 um, was dispersed, absolutely destroyed. And from AD 70 till 1948, Israel was not a nation. They were scattered all over the earth. 1948, Israel becomes a country. And that be- really is the start for us to start going, okay. Okay, we might be in this season. But I do want to warn you that every single time an earthquake happens or we have a hurricane, people start running down the street. It's about time. It gets dangerous to add the newspaper sometimes to the Bible. So as we go through Revelation, we're going to ask a couple things. Number one, we ask this at every start of every mine, is even though this is a grow growth opportunity here at Cornerstone, and even though we do want to dig into the Word Please, please, please do not use this as just a university type thing. Church was never, ever designed to be a university. It was never designed to be just a knowledge dump to where we learn, 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 and never apply, 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 apply. The Bible says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So I want to encourage you, um, whatever we learn here um, over the next 14 weeks, let's apply that into our lives. Um, All right, deal? All right, so let's go to Revelation. Um, Revelation is the last book in your Bible. If you get to maps, you've gone too far. So Revelation, and we're going to start in chapter 1. I knew that would happen. I I had that REM song just buzzing in my head. I can't get... So if I start humming this to Michael Stipe's tune. All right, so Revelation chapter 1. And before we start... I need to warn you about something. Revelation is a confusing book. And it's easy as we start walking down the path of this um, prophetic book that we can easily get sidetracked at all the different little things that come about. And and often, um, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would tell the youth, please, please, focus, focus forward. Don't get confused. Don't get sidetracked by all the things. Because the first four words in this book tell us all we need to know. This is the revelation. Let's try five words. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus' last words were not found in Acts chapter 1, but they are in Revelation. This book is about the revealing of Jesus. In fact, the entire Bible is the revealing of Jesus. Some people go, well, why, why can't Revelation just be easy to understand? Why, why can't it just be plain English? Why can't they just take all the symbolic things and allow us to understand this? Why do there have to be beasts coming out of the water and things with tin horns and, and all that kind of stuff that tends to confuse us? So to understand why Revelation is so hard to understand, we need to understand a couple things. Revelation number one is the only prophetic book in the entire New Testament. It's the only prophetic book in the entire New Testament. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. This is the only prophetic book in the New Testament. It was written 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, give or take a couple years. It was written, as we will see, by the Apostle John. 
And John was given the opportunity to see things that even we as people in here have not seen yet. So, try this little exercise out. Try to explain. Remember that that, um, commercial we just watched for the mine with the plane flying into the World Trade Center? Try to explain a, a 747, let's say, even though it wasn't that, a 747 picking up people at an airport, taking off, flying, and then flying into a building. And try to explain that without using any modern words whatsoever. You can't use the word plane because that had not been invented yet. Okay? You cannot use the word engines. You cannot use the word airport. You cannot use the word any of those modern terms we would have. And then try to explain that to someone who lived in AD 90 in a language that's extremely symbolic. We did this with um, high schoolers once, and we gave them 15 minutes to try to describe an airplane picking up people and flying away. And the closest someone came to was a was a large dragon with fire in its wings swooped down. It swallowed up people. And then it took off in a blaze and a loud roar. And as fire continued to flap out of its wings, it went to a different city and then it threw up all the people. And, and if someone wrote that to you, you'd be going, say what? So here's the issue with revelation and how hard it is. Poor John is sitting there in his sandals going, trying to describe what he is seeing. How would you describe an asteroid? If you were John, how would you describe an asteroid? I'm not saying an asteroid's in this, but how would you do that? Because everybody that lived back then, if they saw an asteroid, they died. There wasn't telescopes. There wasn't TV. You'd probably explain it like a, a mountain on fire being thrown into the water or something like that. So as we go through this, my encouragement to you is really just try to put those blinders on. Stay focused in on the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I will try my hardest to walk through some of the symbolism um, that's being used. So let's go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right. So we got the revelation of Jesus. It was given to God, the Father. Or I mean, God the Father gave it to God the Son. God the Son, Jesus, gave it to the angel. The angel then gave it to who? John. Okay? And then in verse 3, check this out. This is really cool. I'm about to get blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Yep. Blessed are the ones, get ready. Blessed are the ones who hear it. Yeah. And take to heart what is written in it. So those who didn't woo obviously didn't take it to heart. Uh, 
So blessed are the ones who read this aloud and blessed are the ones who hear it. This is the only book in the entire Bible that gives you a blessing for simply reading this book or this letter. It is also the only book in the entire Bible that gives you a curse if you take away or add anything to it. And we will get to that on week number 14. So we are blessed for going through this. And then the final five words there. Because the time is near. Now the word time there is actually probably better translated season. The season is near. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. What are the seven churches? They are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I skipped up to verse 11 to cheat there a little bit. The seven churches in the province of Asia. Well, for us today, we, we typically think of Asia as China and Vietnam, all, all that kind of stuff. This is actually what's talking about Asia here. It's talking about what we know as Turkey. Okay? And these seven churches were fairly close to the coastline in Turkey. These seven churches were church plants, just like Cornerstone one time long ago was a church plant. By the way, I, I love doing this because there's only 26 of you. Anybody here from the original Cornerstone? Anybody? Oh, look at Sharon up there, cheater. Anybody here from... Hamilton. Remember the Hamilton days? All right, cool. Anybody here from the student center days? All right, cool. Everybody else is just here from this building day, right? Well, when we get a new building, we'll be able to add you to that whole cycle. All right. So yeah, these are seven church plants and there were many more of them, but these were seven church plants. So these written to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let's look at verse, verse 5 here real quick. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Over the next couple verses, we're going to see three different type of salvations that you'll find in the Bible. The first one is this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's talking about salvation by justification. You have been justified. And you'll want to write these down because these are important not only in Revelation, but it's important to know when the Bible talks about salvation, it has three different types of salvation in mind. The first one is justification. And this is basically talking about Jesus' past work on the cross. This is 60 years ahead of time. So justification is basically what justification means is we are freed from the penalty of our sins. So if you've been justified, that means you've been freed once and for all from the penalty of your sins. Your debt has been paid. How has it been paid? By Jesus Christ, by his blood. And then verse 6, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God, his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power 
forever. Amen. The second type of salvation is called sanctification. And we're tossing big churchy words out at you. So justification means that we are saved once and for all from the penalty of our sins. We cannot lose that. We cannot lose that. Once we are in God's hand, no one can take us out. We cannot keep re-crucifying Jesus. So we've been saved once and for all from the penalty of our sins. Sanctification means we are saved from the power of sin. Now, sanctification is different from justification. Justification talks about the penalty. This talks about the power. This is a day-to-day salvation that we have with God. When we get off the path with God, we lose our sanctification. We cannot lose our justification, but we lose our sanctification. When we are not walking with God, when we are not living the life worthy of the call, we lose that sanctification. That's why God asks us to turn around, turn back to Him, ask for forgiveness. So that as Christians, we are to stay sanctified Because when we are sanctified, the power of sin lessens in our life. The further away we get from God, the more sin becomes tempting. And then we look at verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. And all the prophets on earth will mourn because of him, so it shall be. Amen. In the future, Jesus will come back. Now, this is referring to the second coming. But one day, not only will our penalty be taken care of, we will be removed from the penalty. Not only will we be removed from the power of sins, but we will be glorified. Glorification, the third salvation, which means once and for all, we will be removed from the presence of sin. Won't that be an amazing day? Let's try that again. Won't that be an amazing day? Okay. So the kids over there are kabooming, so we've got to match them every once in a while. All right, and then verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the the Greek letters, the beginning and the end. It's basically saying, I am the A to the Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So that's that's a good start, okay? We sort of get an understanding of what of, what, um, of who um, Jesus is a little bit. We understand now um, why we are supposed to read this. We get blessed for reading this. And then in verse 9, we, we get introduced to the main writer here. And this is John. And we all know John. Now, this is not John the Baptist, but this is John, the Apostle John. Um, what some would refer to as Jesus' best friend. Now, this is John the one who was in Jesus' inner circle that Jesus took with him everywhere. This is John who was there when Jesus was baptized. This is John who had the incredible opportunity as Jesus spoke to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is John who was at the cross. All the other disciples were gone, but he was at the cross. This is the John that Jesus looked down to and basically gave care of his mother... This is the John that ran faster than Peter to the tomb. So John has been with Jesus at every major turning point. 
He lived with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He fished with Jesus. He watched Jesus walk on water. He watched Jesus heal the lepers. He watched Jesus raise people from the dead. And he watched Jesus as he ascended into heaven. So keep that in mind as we start to read this. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Now stop there. John's being very nice with his wording here, but listen to what he says. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus. John is writing to a bunch of people that are being absolutely torn apart. The church by this time is being persecuted. The church is being persecuted for a multitude of different reasons, for political reasons. Now remember, the Christians did not take part in the pantheon. They did not worship other gods. In fact, here this is funny, Christians at this time by the known world were considered atheists because they did not believe in the gods of Rome. So what we call atheists today, Christians were called that by the Romans. The Romans despised Christians. They worshipped a God that you couldn't even see. They were persecuted for economic reasons. No money or sacrifices were ever forthcoming from Christians for the Roman idols. They were persecuted for moral reasons. Christians were often looked upon as cannibals, for they ate flesh and drank blood. They were scapegoats. Nero blamed the Christians. Christians were persecuted and tormented. If you let someone know you were a Christian, that could be the last words you said. Today, it's um, sort of nice that we walk around with our crosses, which is sort of like walking around with an electric chair, but that's whatever. Um, we, we walk around with crosses, and on, on our cars, we have the fish. You know where that fish came from? It says you were walking down the street, you would draw half of the fish. And if the other person completed the fish, you knew you were both Christians and you continued the conversation. If they did not complete that fish, peace out. It was dangerous to be a Christian. Look in Hebrews chapter 11 as it talks about the the hall of fame of those who by faith lived a life worthy of the call for God. And towards the end, it talks about those who had been sawed in two, who had been crucified, who had been flogged and beaten. They used to put tar on Christians, impale them, and light them on fire to light the streets of Rome. They used to feed them to the lions. They used to tie dead bodies onto the Christians so they would slowly succumb to the death. It was a tough day to be a Christian. But yet, if you know your history, because of their faith, because of their testimony for the invisible God, 
Rome eventually turned into a Christian empire. As people in the Colosseum watched, as Christians were being eaten while singing psalms, as they were praising Jesus, as they were considering it pure joy as they were getting beaten. I'd like to stand all proud here on a soapbox and say, we as the American church should do that, but I I don't know if I could do that, to be honest, transparent. I don't know if I could stand for Jesus as they're taking my daughter to possibly be fed to the wolves. That's tough. In America, we, we cry out because of the economy. And yet we look in the Bible and God moves during bad economies. So here John is. And by the way, talk about persecution. The last five books written in the New Testament were John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Why did he wait so long? It's because he's the only one left. The other ones have died. The other ones have been martyred. And so the only apostle left is John. And so here he is, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, legitimate suffering, and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The island of Patmos is this volcanic island that's just south of what we now know as um, Turkey. Is there any way I can get a time clock on here? It'll be 9 o'clock before I'm... So that way I can keep... So he was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day, which would be Sunday. This isn't... He's not talking about the Sabbath. On the Lord's Day... I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. A lot of times in the Bible you hear a loud voice like this because the loudest thing during that time was a trumpet. It was the most ear-piercing thing in all the world. It was louder than anything else you could imagine. So he's taking the loudest thing possible and comparing this voice to it. Thank you so much. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then check out this description. I turned around, and again, as you read through the Bible, one of the the key things you have to do is you got to put your, put your feet into their sandals. You got to pretend you're them. So everybody right now, even if you're a girl, pretend you're John. You're on the island of Patmos. Probably smells like Kenya. It it smells there, okay? And, And it's rough and it's tough. And you turn around, this trumpet blaring voice, and you turn around and here's what you see. Now remember who John was with Jesus. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. 
And that's a reference to Jesus. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Try to picture that. Turn around, trumpet, trumpet makes you turn, and, and you see that. Now here John is using some symbolism to describe what he's seeing. It's not just white, it's white as snow. He turned around, he saw this, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Who was John looking at again? Who was Jesus' best friend? We're reading into that a little bit, but who was is, who is Jesus' best friend most likely on earth? John. Now, when's the last time your best friend walked up behind you and you turned around and you fell over dead? John didn't go, hey, hey man, that's, he didn't do that. Jesus wasn't looking at him like buddy Jesus. He wasn't doing that either. John saw Jesus and went, fell flat, fell flat. Okay, Th- this is John. He was the original planker. Okay. And there's Jesus. John got to see Jesus in all his glory. John, and John has seen Jesus in every possible way. He saw Jesus fully human. He saw Jesus on a cross, absolutely mangled. He saw the risen Jesus. And now he sees the absolute brilliance of who Jesus is. And this isn't the Norwegian blue-eyed Jesus that we've come accustomed to, petting the lamb, nice. This is God. This is brilliant. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. And in fact, John's stance, that's worship. Think to yourself, how often do I come to worship and worship that Jesus? Worship a Jesus that I can't even comprehend, that is so amazing, so brilliant, so mind-boggling, that his own friend, the one who knew him probably better than anyone else, fell over paralyzed, basically. That's the God we worship. I'll be the first to admit. And you're going to see a transparent Chris this fall. But I'll be honest. Worship's not my favorite thing. 
Someone long ago told me, heaven's going to be just nonstop worship. And here's my honest, heartfelt response. Are you kidding me? I can't stand for two songs. Are you kidding me? I got to worship the whole time. I can't sing. Better not be wearing that thing. I, I, and then that's... But yet when, when we reach the salvation, that's glorification. I, we are going to have no problem worshiping. It's going to flow out of us. It's going to be our natural response. This face to the ground is going to be the natural response when dealing with God in all its brilliance. Our God is amazing. And I think part of the reason why I grew up really not liking worship is because I really wasn't worshiping. And I really didn't understand the heart of worship and what it really meant. John got on his face as though dead. But here is our, here's Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Wow. Jesus is it. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the A to the Z. He is everything we need in our life. You can get rid of everything else in your life. If you have Jesus, you have more than you can ever comprehend. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our study. He is worthy of our finances. He is worthy of our families. Verse 19, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Put a star next to verse 19 because that is the outline for the entire book of Revelation. Write, therefore, what you have seen. That's chapter 1. That's what we're doing tonight. What is now? That's chapters 2 and 3. We're going to walk through the seven churches. And from verse 1 of chapter 4, what will take place later. So Revelation is past, present, future. Chapter 1, past. Two and three presents going to deal with the churches. And from four on, where, where most theologians believe the rapture, which we'll talk about, happens, from four to chapter 18 talks about the tribulation. Chapter 19 talks about the second coming. Chapter 20, we arrive at Satan finally, finally getting bound. And it will also talk about the thousand-year reign. And then chapters 21 and 22 talks about eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, biblically, this life we live today is but a breath, but a vapor, but a mist, but a blip on the radar screen compared to eternity with Jesus Christ. Right now, we are living in the abnormal. Everything that was in the Garden of Eden... We'll be back again in chapter 21. What we now call miracles will be the normal. In fact, miracles are simply God 
touching a little bit of normal into this abnormal world. Does that excite you? Because I'm going to be transparent again. There are many times I've often said, Jesus, I want you to come back. Can you wait till my children graduate? (laughs) Jesus, I want you to come back. Can you wait till Ohio State beats Michigan again? (laughs) Jesus, come back. Wait till after retirement. I've got a lot of plans. (laughs) But honestly... If this is the Jesus we worship, we want him back now. We want it done now. We want, we want the rapture to happen now. At least most of us probably do. We want the rapture to happen now. Funny story. When I was a youth pastor, we were talking about Revelation, and this girl came up to me afterwards. Um, I won't use her name because she's probably going to be listening to this. A girl came up to me afterwards, and she was just like white as a ghost. White as snow. And she came up, and she was so worried. And she's all, how fast does the rapture happen? And I'm like, how fast? I'm all, blink your eyes. There you go. Um, And she's, no, no, how fast? I'm like, I almost said her name. I'm all, real fast. She's all, it doesn't happen slow? I'm like, no. She's all, you promise. I thought we were going to do a peaky swear. She's all, you promise? I said, Yes. Turns out what she was worried about was it was going to be a slow rapture and her clothes would slowly fall off to the floor and everyone would see her rapturing up into the sky. (laughs) Poor thing. But that's what Revelation does to us. It it, it can take us off on a whole bunch of different roads. But if you remember anything about this entire fall, it's tonight. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. Jesus the one worthy of praise, the one worthy of worship, the one that should drop us to our knees. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars. This is important to understand, especially for chapter 2. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, what's a lampstand? Same as a candlestick, basically. Here's candle. Okay? This is a lampstand. Okay? So what, what is a lampstand supposed to be? The churches. What's the role of the church? To lift the light. Okay? All right, so that is what it is. It's a lampstand, it's a candlestick, okay? When churches are dying or churches are ineffective, and we'll see this next week, what happens is God takes the lampstand away. So the lampstand is the churches. Who are the seven stars? The angels of the seven churches or the messengers, Or another word for it are the pastors or the leaders of the churches. The churches could also represent ministries. We'll close with this tonight. One of the coolest things about Jesus is that he still cares. He's not dead, he's living. He is the I am, he is ever present. 
where are the messengers? In Jesus' hand. He's got you. He holds us. And we'll find out in chapter 2. Let me find where it's at. Chapter 2, verse 1. Not only does he have us in his hand, he walks among us. He walks among the churches. We have a God who is ever-present and active in our lives. He has us. He will never let us go. He walks with us. Jesus loves you more than you could ever comprehend. More than you could ever know. Jesus is worthy of your life. Jesus is worthy of everything you have. We talked about this in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. He's active. He creates. We are made in his image, and he loves us dearly. That's one of my favorite parts in all of chapter 1 is the fact that he's got us. As hard as it can get, and it does get hard. I don't want to underplay the persecution that happens in the United States, and it gets, it's getting worse. We're not getting flogged yet. <laughs> But it is tough. Friends will abandon you. They'll make fun of you. It's hard. I'll be honest. It's hard to tithe. No one else is doing it. It's hard to tithe. It's hard to live that life. It's hard to stand firm when the devil's consistently throwing arrows at you. But Jesus has got you. And when you take your last breath, or if you get raptured, take a blink, because the moment you open your eyes, you'll be face to face with Jesus. And as you're laying, planking on the floor, he'll lift you up and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we live for. That's why Cornerstone's here. Cornerstone's not here to make Cornerstone famous. I'll be honest with you. I could care less if anybody knows Cornerstone exists in 40 years as long as they know Jesus exists. Cornerstone won't be famous in heaven. Jesus will be famous in heaven. But because of the work that Cornerstone does, more people will be there. Over the next 13 weeks now, we are going to walk through Chapters 2 through 22. We're going to walk through the seven churches and we're going to look at how that compares to our church. And when we see churches like the church of Smyrna, there wasn't just one big first Baptist of Smyrna. That's not what it's talking about. It's all the Christians that live in that that region. If If you were writing a letter to us, we'd be probably the church of Phoenix. All of us. Because remember, denomination equals division, by the way. They're synonymous. So we're all one. We're all together. And so, so Jesus is writing to the church in these seven different regions. And so we'll see how our church here in Phoenix, more locally in Chandler, more nationally, the Church of America, whatever, compares to these seven churches. And then we'll walk through the whole idea of rapture. What does that mean? We'll talk about the tribulation. We'll hand out timelines and try to get you um, 
at least somewhere um, focused. <laughs> um, there are a lot of confusing things in there, and there's a lot of different beliefs in Revelation. I'll pre-warn you there. There's brilliant theologians that believe totally different things. But the one thing that they all believe is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. So we're going to open it up um, right now. We'll have mics that are coming around for the next 15 minutes. If you have questions, obviously there's not a lot of craziness in chapter 1. And so I'll try my hardest um, to do that. Remember, I'll, I'll pre-warn you. As soon as that says 8, I'll, you can go kaboom. But So in, any questions at all? Okay. Hello. Okay. So um, it says that the seven stars represent the angels over the churches. So first question, is that singular, meaning one angel per church, or does it mean uh, angels, multiple angels per set of churches? And would that give any implication as to all the angels that inhabit heaven being divided amongst the seven uh, lampstands? It's it's really just uh, um, talking about the one over each church. And, and it's not necessarily even talking about like each church has their own guardian angel um, or anything like that. It's really referencing the messenger or, or as we say, you could even use the word pastor or the leader um, of that church. Um, are, are fallen angels or Nephilims, are they aliens? Say that real again. Are Fallen angels or Nephiliums, are they, are they aliens? Are they aliens? The, here's what a fallen angel, or fallen angel is. A fallen angel is a demon. They're the same thing. Okay, so there were angels. Um, no one ever asked this in the Genesis class, by the, or the Genesis mind, by the way. Um, angels were created um, during the first um, six days. Um, at one point, Satan led a multitude of angels away. They fell. Um, they are now called fallen angels, or what we would refer to them as demons. As far as aliens go, aliens, un- unidentified flying objects and all that kind of stuff, unless I totally misunderstood your question. Did, she, did you say aliens? Yes? So I, I would, I I'm going to just toss my personal opinion. I don't believe there are aliens out there. Um, I believe what people might have seen as aliens could very well be of demons or demonic activity. I think what she's trying to ask is in Genesis 6, there's a reference of um, when the fallen angels procreated with the human females. And Oh, yes. okay. You're going back to Genesis. <laughs> so she, I think she's wondering because the Nephiliums were, um, were back then in the time of Noah. And she's asked me this question. And in, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, as it was in the day of Noah, so it shall be when I return. Okay. So she's asked me if that would be present. Perfect. That's absolute, That's a phenomenal question. Okay. So going back to Genesis, that's Genesis 6, 1 through 4. It talks about um, the Nephilim um, and the whole, the whole idea of fallen angels procreating with, with humans, creating this giant race. Okay. Because of that sin, there were a group of angels, um, most likely those angels that were, that were bound and are still bound to this day in what's called the abyss. There will be a time, and we'll get to that probably in week, uh, somewhere in the middle here um, in the tribulation where the abyss is cleared out and those angels actually will be released. Those angels that were bound that it was talking about um, there as in the days of Noah, they will make their appearance again in Revelation. Yep. So that phenomenal question.
Hi, so you believe that uh, John the Apostle and John of Pathos, Patmos are the same? Yes. Because I know there's a debate going on about that. Yes. Why do you think so? Because there is a literary style. There is a big difference. Okay. Um, yes, I do believe um, that John, in Re the one who wrote Revelation, is the, is the, is the same um, as John, um, Jesus' um, companion. Um, the literary style is a little different, but it, um, he addresses himself as John, as, as Jesus' um, companion. Um, so um, we, know it's not, we know it's not John the Baptist. So yeah, I, I believe it's for sure um, John the Apostle. John the Apostle at that time, it was, this was, Revelation was written anywhere between 90 and 95 A.D. So he would have been in his late 80s, 85, 86, 87. So he would have been an, been an old guy. And he was the only one left. Um, he's the only one that did not die a martyr's death. And it is said that, that he eventually um, was released and ended up back in Ephesus. But yeah, I, I believe it's the same John. Okay. Yep. Um, in Matthew 24, um, Jesus is talking to his apostle and he's telling them about the end times. Uh -huh. And he says in verse 34, then at last this age will come to its close. Um, he was telling them that during their time, they would see all these things come to pass, and then, and then, is that part of Revelation? Is that, or is that something it's, that happened way before then? Okay, Ma Matthew 24 um, jumps around a little bit. Um, it'll it'll go from present to future, present to future, in, in several different areas. And I don't want to steal thunder because we're actually going to talk about that in, in a in a couple weeks um, as we as we get into the tribulation. Um, but but yeah. Um, 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 he's not talking necessarily about um, this piece happening, obviously, because it still hasn't happened by the time they died. However, in A.D. 70, when Jerusalem was sacked, there were definitely some prophetic things that happened at that moment that they, that, that they would have witnessed. But we're going we're gonna to talk about that um, in, in future weeks, if that's okay. okay. I was just wondering, do you believe that at, in the end times when all the true believers are raptured up to heaven, that the people that are left, will the church play a huge role or a large role in changing its role in helping the people that are here to find Christ or to find Jesus? Yeah, I believe, um, and again, we'll hit that in future weeks too. Um, I, I, I don't believe the church will be here. I believe the church will be raptured in its entirety. I believe the Holy Spirit will be removed, or the restrainer, as it's called. Um, but yes, people, people will come to Christ um, in droves um, during the tribulation. However, the way they come to Christ is different than how, how we accept, because again, the Spirit is removed. So it'll be a little bit more like the Old Testament type, but we'll, we'll, we'll run through that pretty heavily as we come. Um, in verse 16, where it says, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, does that mean what he's going to be telling John? Yeah, it's, it's symbolic. Um, it's basically talking about truth coming out, coming out of his mouth. Um, I, I don't personally believe that, of course, John was on the floor, so he didn't have to worry about his head getting chopped off. I don't believe that John saw a sword um, necessarily coming out, but it, it's symbolic of the word of truth which pierces like a double-edged sword. So. Why double-edged versus single-edged? <laughs> Correct. All right. 
anymore. And again, we're going to try We'll try to hit a lot of these future questions um, in future weeks. Wow, he's got good eyesight. How do you see that? I think, I think I might be interpreting this wrong, but I think later in Revelation, later on, like in chapter 20, it talks about after the tribulation and after Jesus comes, another civilization coming up. Is that yeah, what, what happens at, uh, at the end of chapter 19, the second coming happens. And again, the second coming dif- is differentiated from the rapture. We'll get to that. Um, there is a thousand-year reign of Christ. I do believe that's when we as the church will reign with Christ. I do believe we will reign over those who turn to God during, um, during the tribulation. I believe that's when, as you look throughout the Bible... Um, it talks about getting the crown, these crowns, these rewards that we get. Um, those will all come to play during that thousand-year reign. During that thousand-year reign, Satan will be bound. Um, and then at the end of the thousand-year reign, there's only six verses on that, but at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan will be loosed again. And then after that, we go into eternal, eternal heaven. But we'll, we'll definitely hit that in week 12. All right, it is, it is time. So I'm going to go ahead and, and close in prayer. If you have other questions, please come on up front. Um, again, we thank you. This is a fun time, um, first week of the mine. Um, keep inviting friends. Um, not necessarily, I mean, it's fun to fill this room, but Kaboom is a, an incredible, incredible ministry. So if you have friends that have children, um, that's where those children need to be. They need to be over there hearing about Jesus. And so um, what an opportunity for them to be over there. And then you can invite um, your friends over here, um, have a cup of coffee, and learn about the rapture and all that kind of fun stuff. So let's go ahead and pray. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that um, you have given us through your Son an opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Heavenly Father, forgive us for taking you lightly. Heavenly Father, I pray, and for myself included, that we who sit here that that are believers that um, call you our Lord, that we will live that life, that we will worship as though you were standing right in front of us with all your glory. Heavenly Father, we, we... I ask that um, if there's anyone in here that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that maybe, maybe you'll tug on their heart a little bit. And maybe they'll ask the questions and really try to figure out what it means to have a relationship with an active and loving God to fill that hole that's in their life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Cornerstone, and we, we do ask that um, you continually bless this church. Bless Lynn. Give him, give him wisdom to see things the way you see them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what happened over in Kenya, what's going to happen in Jamaica, what's happening in India, and what's happening locally as missionaries and followers go out and proclaim with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, be with us as we study this topic, and we thank you for the blessing, and and we just pray that you illuminate exactly what you want us to see. Give us the path to walk down. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to give you all the glory. It's in your precious name we pray.
Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. See you next week.